Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Poliafito, and I'm happy to welcome to Retina Synthesis today Dr. Susanna Park, who is Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of California, Davis, where she holds the Roth Endowed Chair in Visual Science. Dr. Park, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Thank you for inviting me, Carmen. It's a pleasure to connect with you to discuss uh, an important topic that you propose. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of venous occlusion, occlusive disease, retinal venous occlusive disease, with an emphasis on central vein occlusion. But I thought that we would start off by just uh, getting an overall perspective from you about what this, where this field is going, where it's been, where it's going. Well, you know, as, as you all know, Retinal vein occlusion is the second most common retinal vascular cause of vision loss, especially in the elderly. And it's second only to diabetic retinopathy. Uh, we currently have, fortunately, many treatments to treat the complications of vein occlusion, such as macular edema or neovascularization, which can also add to the vision loss. Um, however, we Many patients with uh, retinal vein occlusion continue to have vision loss, even with all the treatments we currently have available. And so I think the future direction for treatment of retinal vein occlusion is regenerative therapy, finding ways to repair the, the actual damaged retinal vasculature and uh, repair or regenerate some of the retinal neurons that may have been damaged by, by um, retinal ischemia. So that's an area of research I'm actually exploring at the current time. Yeah, we really like to talk about that. Um, but just to talk about some more basic issues, what about branch vein occlusion these days? What are we doing about treating the complications of branch vein occlusion? Okay, so when I see a patient with uh, branch retinal vein occlusion coming in with vision loss in my clinic, you know, the first thing I, I do is, you know, check the vision, do a complete exam and do OCT to look for macular edema. Uh, if the patient has macular edema with vision loss of 20, 40 or worse, uh, my first line of treatment is to initiate intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy. I also look for signs of retinal ischemia and neovascularization and follow these patients especially if they're off anti-VEGF therapy to look for evidence of retinal neovascularization that might warrant scatter laser photocoagulation to minimize vision loss from complications of um, such as vitreous hemorrhage. Um, so, you know, currently we have uh, three anti-VEGF therapies we can use or offer for these patients. We have bevacizumab we've used since 2005, which is off-label. You know, some, sometimes uh, the anti-VEGF therapy we choose for me is often limited by the insurance. Sometimes they tell us to use bevacizumab because it's cheaper. So that's an option for our patients and it's warranted based on, you know, score two and LIBO study, which did not show a big difference among the anti-VEGF therapies. Uh, we also have ranibizumab, which um, we've used for a long time and it's on label as well as aflibicept. Um, so in general, for my patients, this first line, I offer them bevacizumab or ranibizumab, mainly because ranibizumab doesn't linger in the systemic circulation 
and we have a long history of use showing efficacy and safety. And I inject these medicines monthly until we get maximum resolution of the macular edema and improvement in vision. And then I, I propose a uh, treat and extend approach to try to minimize the number of visits and injections for our patients. If the macular edema doesn't fully resolve with anti-VEGF therapies, abevacizumab or ranibizumab, uh, I do consider switching to aflibacept because based on my own personal experience, I do think there is, the aflibacept can be a little more effective and longer lasting in some of the patients. So I try switching to aflibacept. And if the macular edema doesn't improve even with aflibacept or the, I cannot extend the interval very much, then I offer um, grid laser treatment and I have actually tried combining grid laser treatment with anti-VEGF therapy with some success in terms of resolution of macular edema and extension of treatment interval. Uh, the other treatment option to offer is intravitreal steroid if the patient doesn't have glaucoma or um, risk of cataract progression. And so, you know, um, usually I use uh, triessence if it's available, but currently we have a shortage of triessence nationally. Um, so we can use triessence if it's available, one milligram usually. And um, if the patient has an intact posterior capsule, I can also offer intravitreal dexamethasone implant. So that's how I would treat uh, my patients currently with branch retinal vein occlusion. That's a, that's a wonderful treatment paradigm. Um, <clears throat> what about how, how often is it possible we use stop treating patients with vein occlusion? I would say, you know, I do stretch them out. And usually if it's about, uh, we can stretch them out to about uh, 12 weeks or 16 weeks. I often give them the option to stop their treatment uh, mm -hmm. and see how they're doing. And I would say a good 20 to 30% of patients over time may not need ongoing treatment, but the majority seem to require ongoing treatment of some sort. Right. Yeah. What about NVE? How do you manage that? If there's evidence of NVE, um, especially if there's vitreous hemorrhage, uh, then I would um, go, uh, perform scatter laser photocoagulation, uh, especially as we extend the anti-VEGF interval, you know, if the NVs might pop up and cause vitreous hemorrhage. And so I propose doing laser treatment to the ischemic retina. So what about central vein occlusion? So central retinal vein occlusion, I have a similar, uh, you know, treatment uh, plan for central retinal vein occlusion, you know, the uh, studies have not shown a big benefit of grid laser treatment. So I don't offer grid laser treatment for those patients alone or in combination with anti-VEGF. But similarly, you know, I basically look for evidence of uh, neo, uh, macular edema at presentation and uh, offer intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy as first line. I don't typically perform fluorescein angiography at presentation just because there tends to be a lot of retinal hemorrhages and you get limited uh, information. However, if they're not on regular anti-VEGF therapy, I will see them monthly to look for evidence of virus neovascularization so that you know, I can do prophylactic laser treatment should they get virus neovascularization as recommended by the you know, central retinal vein occlusion study. 
So, um, you know, and again, look for risk factors associated that the patient might have for central retinal vein occlusion, such as their age, hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, glaucoma, smoking. If the patient is young and doesn't have any of these risk factors, again, I would do a systemic workup to make sure that they don't have a hypocoagulable state that might be causing the vein occlusion. And uh, treating macular edema. Yes, and treat the macular edema with intravitreal anti-VEGF. And similarly, I would start with uh, bevacizumab or ranibizumab, depending on whether you know the patient wants on-label or <coughs> treatment. And then if um, I don't get full response, so I can't treat and extend very much, then I could switch to um, aflibacep. And then once again, if there's a small percentage, I'd say about 10% of patients with macular edema from retinal vein occlusion that don't always respond readily to anti-VEGF. And in those patients, I would offer intravitreal steroids and uh, inform them of the risk of glaucoma and cataracts um, as we make the conversion. Yeah. Uh, do you think the incidence of neovascular glaucoma is decreasing? In eyes with central vein occlusion, or is it about the same? Decreasing in eyes with central retinal vein occlusion. Well, now, now that we're in the anti-VEGF era. Yes, the occlusion is maintained on anti-VEGF therapy. You know, every you know, less than every eight weeks. I don't worry about neovascularization as much because the anti-VEGF therapy will take care of that. It's when you extend the interval or discontinue anti-VEGF therapy where you may start to see neovascularization. So. You know, even if they're off anti-VEGF therapy, I do see them at, the, at a regular interval just to make sure the macular edema doesn't come back and the patient doesn't get neovascularization. So do you do a treat and extend model there as well? Yes, I do use a treat and extend model for all our, my anti-VEGF therapy patients. And what's your longest interval that you can manage patients? 12 weeks? You know, I, at 12 weeks uh, before COVID, if we extend to 12 weeks and the patients were fine, I used to give them PRN, convert them to PRN, mm -hmm. see how far they can go before they have another recurrence. With the COVID, you know, because the patients don't want to keep coming in for PRN injections, um, we, I, I just keep treating and extending. So I have patients who come see me every six months for an injection as we kept treating and extending. And some of these patients we can probably stop, but then if I stop, I have to see them more frequently. So mm -hmm. have, you know, I've just kept extending at least during the COVID period. So COVID inspired a, treat, a change in your treatment algorithm. Yes, that's the way it, it, it has, uh, you know, I tried to minimize the number of trips, trips that the patients make to, to my clinic. And, and the patients seem to appreciate that. You know, I do give them the option of, coming to see me every four to six weeks for PRN injection versus treating and extending where they may not have to come and see me for a few months. And they usually you know, go with the treat and extend. Well, central vein, is, <laughs> central vein is certainly a chronic condition. Yes, yes, yes. For the majority and, and, of patients. And that makes it challenging for the patients and the treating physicians. Yes. Patients want to know when is this going to end? And the answer never is not well accept, accepted. Never is never well accepted. But you know, I do tell people that people on anti-VEGF 
if you follow them long-term, the uh, mean number of injections tend to go down at, uh, for, for on the average, but there are some people who need more injections all the time, and some people who need fewer injections. So it's hard to predict, but they need to be monitored regularly for a long time. <laughs> so so we've, we've talked about the past and the present. What about the future? So the future is, as I mentioned, you know, we're doing research on regenerative therapies, cellular therapy. And, you know, the idea is to uh, basically not only treat the complications of retinal vein occlusion, but to treat the underlying pathology that causes vision loss, which is, you know, retinal vascular damage leading to retinal ischemia. And so, you know, I've been personally very interested in exploring CD34 positive stem cells that we have in our bone marrow. And the reason I have interest in these cells is because it's been known now for over two decades that they are natural repair cells in our body. So um, if you have some sort of tissue damage somewhere in your body, there are signals transmitted through your bloodstream that mobilizes CD34 stem cells in your bone marrow into the circulation. And these cells home into the damaged tissue where they engraft and secrete factors to promote repair. Now, because CD34 cells also include endothelial progenitor cells, uh, a lot of studies have explored the use of these cells for retinal vascular, I mean, vascular disease or ischemic dish, uh, disease where the cells can engraft into the damaged vessels and promote uh, repair. But theoretically, these cells can actually be used for any kind of tissue damage because um, they also contain uh, hematopoietic stem cells that we've used for bone marrow transplantation for many decades. And these hematopoietic stem cells have been found to be the main paracrine uh, uh, secreting cells. So these are the stem cells that actually, when they see damaged tissue, secrete uh, factors that promote tissue repair. And, uh, you know, the cells don't seem to be limited to any particular tissue or damage type. So potentially they can be used, there could be a broad clinical application of these cells. And I personally get, got the idea of exploring these stem cells because I heard about a cardiology clinical trial that was ongoing about 15 years ago, where um, people who are going through angioplasty would um, actually get uh, CD34 stem cells from the bone marrow, and then it would be infused into the coronary artery to promote, uh, minimize the damage to the cardiac myocytes. And there is phase two cl clinical trial evidence showing that there is benefit of such a therapy. Uh, but you have to be very careful about the cells you select because bone marrow has a lot of cells. And when people try to uh, treat patients with crude mixtures, uh, it wasn't shown to be as effective. So in our study, we basically done preclinical animal studies showing that we and others have shown that if you take human CD34 cells and inject them into the vitreous, within um, days, it rapidly homes into the, the damaged retinal vasculature. If you use an animal model of diabetic retinopathy or retinal ischemia, they home rapidly into the retinal vasculature. And we've done long-term studies showing that these human cells 
can be found six months later after a single injection, still incorporated into the retinal vasculature, showing long-term incorporation of these cells. Now, these studies, of course, were done in immune deficient mice because you know human cells into mice, the cells are gonna be rejected. Um, so in our immune deficient uh, mice studies, we've also shown that um, intravitreal injection of these cells uh, results in um, preservation of the retinal vasculature long-term. So uh, without any adverse effects in the eye or systemically. And so based on those results, we were able to get an investigational new drug clearance from the Food and Drug Administration to initiate a clinical trial to see if such a therapy, autologous cell therapy, where you get your own CD34 cells from bone marrow and inject it into the vitreous, whether that could be um, feasible and well-tolerated and potentially of benefit in patients with vision loss from retinal diseases. And so we published the paper uh, several years ago in IOBS, summarizing the results of the first six patients we treated with autologous intravitreal, inje um, intravitreal injection of autologous CD34 cells. And we showed that this cell therapy was feasible and well-tolerated in all, all the patients. Uh, it was an open-label study and some of the patients actually could see better, but uh, we couldn't tell whether it was the stem cell effect or placebo effect because everybody knew they were getting a novel treatment. However, the patient we had with central retinal vein occlusion, you could actually see changes on fundus exam and fluorescein angiography and the visual gain seemed to be the most dramatic. So we selected central retinal vein occlusion to be the first uh, condition we wanted to explore in a larger clinical trial. And we were successful in getting funding support from the National Eye Institute uh, to conduct the TRUST study. And the TRUST study stands for treatment of retinal vein occlusion using stem cells. Uh, so this is an ongoing phase one, two study. We're still enrolling. Um, it, it basically, it's a, it's a randomized sham controlled double mass study of patients with vision loss from central retinal vein occlusion. And we are enrolling patients with a visual acuity of 2040 to 2400. Uh, and this is visual acuity after you exhausted all uh, available therapies, including intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy. If this is the vision range you have, we consider you enrolling, uh, we consider enrolling you for the study. Um, basically, um, the study is a one-year study. Uh, and you randomize one-to-one -to, -one to either a sham treatment at the beginning with stem cell treatment at month six or stem cell treatment at the beginning with sham treatment at month six. And so uh, everybody who's enrolled will eventually get the stem cell treatment. Our goal is to enroll 20 patients. We do have a very extensive inclusion exclusion criteria so the enrollment, especially with COVID, has been a little slower. It's been picking up now that COVID's a little under control. Our goal is to finish enrollment by the end of the year. Um, you know, as a mass investigator, I can't give you more information about that except to say that we have a data safety monitoring committee overseeing the study consisting of experts in hematology, ethics, retina, retinal imaging, and biostatistics, and they review our data at a regular interval. 
And uh, so far they've given us the green light to continue the study because they haven't seen any major safety concerns. No, that's exciting. Yes. So, so does the repair occur on the arterial or venous side of the circulation or both? So, you know, basically it, it homes into the damaged tissue. So, you know, we've done studies in um, diabetic retinopathy and ischemia reperfusion injury. So basically if the, if the tissue is not damaged, the cells don't do anything. They just go back to the bone marrow. Um, and so depending on the model, you know, if it's capillary damage, it will home into the capillaries. If it's venous damage, it will theoretically home into the venous uh, retinal veins. And so, um, you know, basically, I don't think we have a, a perfect model of retinal vein occlusion in, in animals. So, um, you know, in the animal studies, we've seen uh, preservation of the capillaries in eyes with diabetic retinopathy. And then in the ischemia reperfusion model, we did see incorporation in both vessels, but you know, it depends on the model of vascular damage that you use. It's hard to see the homing of the vein, the stem cells into the vessels in live patients because uh, we don't mm -hmm. have imaging modality that's sensitive enough right now to do that. Is, is harvesting the, the uh, stem cells relatively straightforward? Yes, I mean, I don't do it. It's done by a hematologist. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> and it's actually done with the patient awake with just minor sedation and local anesthesia. And, you know, I was worried that it might discourage patients from continuing in the study, but, you know, there are several patients that want to go through it again to see if the vision improves any further, you know? So it's minor discomfort. They, we watch them closely. Nobody has had walking problems after the procedures or bruising. So it's been pretty well tolerated. And we've um, gotten pretty consistent as far as I can tell from the um, study team. Um, we seem to have pretty good yield of the patients who've had stem, uh, the bone marrow aspiration. Uh, so We'll see. When it, once it's all unmasked and I have access to all the data, I can give you more information. But well, so far, that's but, what I've heard through the grapevine. Well, this is really the <laughs> most exciting new development in the treatment of vein occlusion because really we've been chasing complications with anti-VEGF agents very successfully for the last 15 years. Yes. But as we said, this is a chronic disease. So Regenerative medicine is uh, an exciting approach. Yes, yes. And so with any kind of novel therapy, you know, um, we've limited the enrollment just to make sure there aren't any major safety concerns. Um, I know there are other cellular therapies that are being administered, uh, explored mainly for retinal degeneration. Um, and we are exploring, exploring CD34 cells for retinal degeneration as well. Um, I think the advantage of, of uh, CD34 cells are that you can use your own cells, so you don't have to worry about um, immune rejection of the cells. And the cells are not cultured. You get them fresh from bone marrow and inject them into the eye. In fact, if you try to culture them and expand them, you cannot. They don't readily grow. And so um, that, that's a favorable thing from a safety standpoint because one of the adverse effects you worry about with cellular therapy is abnormal proliferation of the cells in the eye, which has been observed in some cellular therapy clinical trials. And so, so far we haven't 
observed that. And I think with these cells, the risk of that is, is very low. So. Well, this is, congratulations on your, your efforts in getting this underway. Really, it's amazing. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a new approach to treating vision loss from retinal problems. And uh, I think the idea that you can use your own stem cells and the cells could work with different retinal diseases is exciting to me just because we have so many retinal conditions and associated vision loss that we cannot treat effectively even today. Well, well, we anxiously await the results which will be coming sometime in 23 or 24. Probably, and it's probably gonna be an, at least another year and a half before we yeah, end. Well, that, that'd be great. So thanks a lot for your participation in retina synthesis. And uh, I know our audience will be really interested in hearing about this. Yes, and you know, for the retinal specialists and ophthalmologists and the audience who treat patients with central retinal vein occlusion, if you have any interest in uh, enrolling or referring patients for the study, please contact me. My email is sscpark at ucdavis.edu. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you.